From the train station at the beginning of Once Upon a Time in the West, it's the IGN DigiGuys. Please welcome two guys listening to a harmonica recital, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. I am never, ever going to be unimpressed by that kind of a reference. Corey, who threw that our way? Tav Rainey gave us that little bit of heaven. It was indeed a little bit of heaven. So, um, listen, this is uh, Wade Oogie Love along with Mark Oogie Love um, (laughs) after a spectacular Labor Day weekend surprise, which is that, you know, Labor Day is traditionally the worst film weekend of the year. It's the year when everything gets dumped, all the crap gets thrown out there because the summer movies have run their course, the fall movies aren't ready yet to begin their Oscar campaigns, and... Uh, kids are back in school, uh, adults are back at work, everyone's coming back from vacation. Nobody really wants to go to the movies, they just want to go barbecue. So there are literally thousands of screens available for whatever junk movies want to go and grab them and try to make a little bit of a profit. And uh, over 2,000 of those screens this weekend were grabbed by the Oogie Loves Big Balloon Adventure, whatever the hell it's called. And uh, it made $448,000 in three days. <laughs> it made $207 per screen across three days, which averages out to approximately one ticket sold per screening in and, the entire country that for ticket, three days. And that ticket was a 55-year-old, a guy in a trench coat, sitting in the back row hoping for the best. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is the worst opening ever for a wide-release movie, ever. This is the worst. This is the most catastrophic opening in movie history. You, you have witnessed history, ladies and gentlemen. Well, the, it used to be. Uh, wasn't that movie Zizek's Road? Wasn't that the well, previous Delgo, one? Well, Delgo was the previous one, but that was animated. So uh, I think for a live-action film, it would be Zizek's Road. But well, Zizek's Road was the yeah. – that used to be the, uh, the record holder. Man, unbelievable. It's just and, – and it's funny because Alonzo, our good friend Alonzo Duralde, a film critic for The Rap, who uh, uh, contributed – who does, you know, he's the expert on Christmas films, did a little ditty for us uh, last year uh, about 10 months ago on our Christmas special. Um, Alonzo uh, went and saw it uh, with, uh, with, with Dave White. Um, for their um, Linoleum Knife podcast. And uh, I said to him, I said, really, how, how crowded was the press screening? I'll bet the press screening was, was like probably more people than averaged any screening anywhere in the U.S. And he goes, there was a press screening? <laughs> you should read. Because there was. There was a press screening with like milkshakes and balloons oh, and all this stuff. I See, go. You didn't get invited to it either, no. did you? I, I don't know. Why would they invite me? I mean, you, you know, they go down this list and they very often kill the people that they know are going to hate it. Why would I, of all people, be invited? Wouldn't that be obvious that I'm going to just loathe this beyond all comprehension? I didn't go. I was supposed to see it for radio, and I just said, I'm sorry. There just, there's, a, there's a bar that I will not – it's a bridge too far. You Won't should happen. read uh, A.O. A. Scott of the New York Times. Yeah. You should read his review of, of the movie. Yeah. Because he wrote it in the voice of <laughs> – Vanugi Love? Of like a four-year-old or something. <laughs> That's like when I did my review of uh, I did my review for box office of Beavis and Butthead to America in uh, in Beavis Speak. That was a lot of fun. Oh, it's the best. All right, Mark. What is this? He what says. Always Scott says he, he writes. Dear Mister Scott, here is my critic of Oogie Loves the Balloon <laughs> Venture. Thanks for the dollar. I hope you liked your gin tonic. They had milkshakes at the screening. Oh, that's he writes, br- oh, that's brilliant. Nobody is mean in this movie. They talk very loud. There are parts where you dance or say cheers and rhymes, which made it noisy in the theater. <laughs> oh, that's and re- great. And then this is, this, this is you know, A.O. Scott, like the chief film critic of the, the paper of record of the United States. <laughs> yes. And he writes, you know, it's, it's a short review. He writes, you know, 300 words at light, as if he's a five-year-old. Oh, that's fabulous. That's great. Oh, that's great. Well, you got to do those things to keep yourself sane sometimes. How well, do you seriously? He wrote, how- he wrote an incredibly funny review for uh, what was that, Jack Black, Gulliver's Travels? Yeah. He wrote a, uh, a hilarious review in the voice of uh, Jonathan Swift. Oh, that's great. And uh, it was just brilliant. I mean, it was so brilliantly written. I mean, he, he with all the flourish of Jonathan Swift and yeah. all the all the all the, the you know the, the, the slang words of the era, and it was unbelievably brilliantly written. Did you read Manola's uh, review of Cat in the Hat, written in Doctor Seuss rhyme? Oh, that's funny. That was pretty good too. Yeah, that was pretty good. <laughs> Actually, you know what my favorite of uh, of all of those ever was? It's one of my favorite reviews ever written, and it might have been one of the first to actually do that. Um, was Jack Kroll's review of Clan of the Cave Bear? 
for uh, for Newsweek. Or no, it was, yeah, it was Newsweek. Jack Kroll was writing for it at the time. Um, he wrote the whole thing in caveman speak. It is just absolutely rip roaringly hysterical. Um, it's really funny. Like uh, there's a, there's a line in there that said something to the effect of um, uh, what's her name? The actor Pamela. It was in the right. Sue st- Martin. No, Pamela from the, the oh, yeah, right stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah. She, yeah. she also was in Kindergarten Cop too. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Reed. Pamela Reed. Pamela Reed. He says uh, Pamela Reed look more hairy than James Remar. <laughs> I still remember that. Anyway, it's very funny. Uh, so what? What is this, Mark? What? Am, what? What have you? Well, I'll on stop. Me? First of all, we. Ha- I have to get something off, off off my chest. Yes. You have disappointed me greatly. Yes. I, look, I did not have time. You, you predicted that I did not have time. I, I did. Did, did I? You did. That? You predicted it. Yeah. Now I last week I made Wade something from the uh, Hunger Games cookbook, which you liked very much. And then uh, I was supposed to reciprocate with something from the uh, Downton Abbey cookbook, which I, I didn't have time to do because I'd, I've just been too busy. So because I it's bake crazy. on the weekends, uh, I made Wade a uh, this is a uh, uh, it's basically two peanut butter chocolate chip cookies and, uh, and uh, they are sandwiching uh, peanut butter chocolate ganache. It's, it's just from a Bon Appetit book I, I uh, bought last week. <laughs> oh, Wade. It's rich. <laughs> it is rich, isn't it? Uh-huh. Very rich. But that's not that. That's there's nothing wrong with that. Do you have any milk? <laughs> no. Never mind. I, 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 I there's water. Yeah, that's fine. It's, it goes down better with milk, you know. I understand that. And Actually, then, you know and what? Then with I would really snuggle co- up and take a nap with really cold milk. It would be great. But. Um, I actually cut down on the amount of sugar on that. I, I cut down on the amount of sugar just a drop because I, because I read some of the reviews online. Mm-hmm. They all said it's very sugary, so I kind of cut down on the sugar. They all said it's very rich and decadent, but they said it was a bit sugary. I Here's, kid you not. If you had milk yes. and a mat, a little floor mat, yes. and, a, and like a Winnie the Pooh blanket, yes. I would be taking a nap right and now. And I even made it less sugary because the recipe calls for uh, milk chocolate chips, and I used uh, semi-sweet chocolate chips because they're less sweet. Very nice. Okay. Now, that doesn't matter. Yeah. Before we get on with the show, yeah, because we we have a lot to talk about. And well, no, and we no have a pile of te- we have a pile of television here that is it is it is ornery and unprecedented. Okay, now you've only taken one small bite, but mm-hmm. let's just okay. Is it good or not? It's good. It is good. It is good. But boy, you, that's sugary. I'm going to be awake for the next three days. How is that more sugary than, than the gigantic six by six inch brick of shortcake? Yeah, but that was fruity. That was fruity sugary. I can deal with fruity sugary. So that's chocolate sugar. That's chocolate sugar. And you're you're less into chocolate sugar. I'm into chocolate sugary, but smaller doses. Really? Yeah. So take small bites. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Let's let's uh, you know we got a gigantic pile of television here. We got old movies, classic movies, new movies. Um, but first, Mark, why don't you? Why don't you, I? You are Mister Bloody Baseball. Tell us why that's important. Baseball's greatest games. Uh, they have been, You know what? I have to say the uh, good folks at the MLB Network. They really crank these things out. Um, and and they crank them out because it's easy to crank them out because yeah, the entire game is like. One big three-hour just file. You, know, you really just have to do some editing at the beginning, some editing at the end. Otherwise, just show the game. I know. There's nothing to be edited. The, the, the entire game is already on television here. <laughs> Put it on a DVD. Yeah. Montage at the beginning, montage at the end. Here's a DVD. Uh, although I do wish they'd come out with these on Blu-ray, and I don't like the fact that they're not, especially because all these games are, are, are broadcast high in high def. I know. Anyway, we have uh, Baseball's Greatest Game, San Francisco Giants' first perfect game. Matt Cain of the uh, of the Giants threw a perfect game earlier this year against the uh, the horrible Astros, and uh, it's on this uh, DVD. Now, um, Matt Cain is a terrific pitcher, and uh, it amazes me that um, the Giants had never pitched a, a perfect game. But anyway, this is uh, the story of Matt Cain. Matt Cain's perfect game, uh, totally fine. I get it. Uh, if you love the Giants, if you love Matt Cain, go for it. I don't like the fact that they have this, but they don't have Johan Santana's first no-hitter. Because the Mets had never thrown a no-hitter until this year. That is, and, and you know what sucks? Not only do they not have his first, uh, first no-hitter, they don't have any of his albums from the 70s. It's just so lame. All right, go, keep, keep, keep going. Okay. I'm going to talk about some animated TV right now and uh, blow through this real quickly. We, you know, if you're a fan of Orange Cats, boy, this is your week, I'll tell you. Uh, is not that Garfield? Yes, it is. The worst is- <laughs> cartoon ever. There is, okay, uh, um, uh, keep going. I'm, yeah. I'm going to recommend a, a link to people. Okay. A YouTube well, link. We have Orange funny. Cats, and normally I would hang on to this one for our holiday show, but I'm not going to because Mark hates Garfield so much he would, he would just kill I me. I really do. So, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make mention right now of Garfield's holiday extravaganza. 
just because it's there, and uh, Mark hates it. It includes the, the Haunted House, Witch Witch, Turkey Trouble, Carol and Capers, Home for the Holidays Part 1 and Part 2. So this, you know, kind of starts off, this will take you through uh, Halloween and uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas, and it'll be fine. If you don't like Garfield, like Mark doesn't like Garfield, then uh, you won't like it. But you know what? Even if you don't like Garfield, there's another orange cat that you might like. Mark, do you like Heathcliff? No. No? You don't like Garfield or Heathcliff? I didn't realize Heathcliff was still around. It's not. This is the the Heathcliff and Dingbat show, and um, this is from Warner Brothers. I frankly wasn't even sure that I remembered this ever being on television to be honest and then I kind of thought yeah I guess I do because I remember Mel Blanc doing a voice or some voices on it like vaguely Uh, but anyway this is two discs 13 episodes and uh, it's fine you know it's uh, I, I, I still have only a vague recollection of it ever being on TV I'm not sure I watched it much when it was on I may have seen a minute or two there now and again but it's it's you know it's perfectly fine it's better than Garfield I'll say that it's you know got more there's a I can't find it and it's killing me there's a guy who hates Garfield as much as I do yeah and he does the thing where he actually uh, because Garfield's so poorly written as comedy, he actually reads he reads um, the dialogue of the comic, yeah, and uses like a Garfield puppet, like a like a live action <laughs> puppet, and the, the 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 guy who writes it plays John with the funny mm-hmm. shirt and the and and, the, and a wig, and he actually reads the dialogue, and you realize that when you actually hear the dialogue read out loud, yeah, it's so incredibly beyond not funny. And then when the punchline comes, the incredibly unfunny punchline that Jim Davis took like five seconds to write, there, 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 there's like a laugh track. <laughs> like the audience starts laughing. And then, at the, and then at the end of it, for some reason, for about 15 seconds, Garfield starts dancing to some random song. Oh, that's great. I don't know why. Yeah, I, I, okay, keep talking. I'm going to find this okay, link. We'll I do. promise. I'm going I'm to find I, this I, link. I will I'm going to send it to you guys. I will go through as much. I'll uh, tell you what it is. I will go through as much of my, my stack of TV as possible until you, you find that. Uh, we got Danny Phantom, Season 2, Part 2, which, you know, makes so much sense if you've never seen uh, Season 2, Part 1. What do you know? What do you want? Uh, Danny Phantom, it's, you know, it's sort of in that same vein as Kim Possible, same type of animation, same general thrust for the same kind of an audience, except he's, he's Danny. He's Danny Phantom. Uh, and, of course, it's a li- you know, it's, it, this one it has a little bit more of a, a spook factor to it, so it kind of goes into the Ghostbusters slash Scooby-Doo realm. Oh, and uh, there it is. So, you know, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you've heard of him, you're going to be into it. If you haven't, you won't be. Wait, wait, wait. Yes, Mark. <laughs> the best. Okay. We're never going to get through this show. <laughs> it's called lasagnacat.com. Oh, gosh. Okay, I'm going to play you one of these. Okay, I, 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 I know this is a totally unprofessional podcast creation yeah. making, but I don't, I don't, I don't care. So... Here it is. Oh, so what? So what this guy does is he will he will read the dialogue, then at yeah. the end when you get the when you get the laugh track, and of course I'm, I'm only saying this because you can't mm-hmm. see it, but mm-hmm. you will when you go to lasagnacat.com. Totally. Uh, he will actually show the actual cartoon. Oh, that's From once nice. he came from, the, from where the script came. How charitable. Of him. And uh, okay, here you go. You ready? Yeah. Hang on. Okay, this is great. Boy, this is good. This is good radio. Okay. Who knocked my fern off the windowsill? And then, for some reason, Garfield will start dancing. <laughs> okay, this is this is someone having way too much fun with. <laughs> That's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. LasagnaCat.com. Okay. See, I'm going to be there the rest of the day. Okay. No, seriously, if if you go to LasagnaCat.com, here's what's going to happen. You'll you'll watch one, you'll laugh, and then you'll find yourself just inhaling these. Oh, gosh. They're just too damn funny. Okay. And then lastly... By the uh, way, I'd like to apologize. That was terrible podcasting, but it's it's so funny. It's LasagnaCat.com. I have no skin in that game. I'm just saying it's so funny. 
Are we done? Yes. Okay. Um, we're officially done. And I, I, I apologize for the bad production value. The Speaking of bad production value, I, I have to say, I love the people at Scholastic. I really do. I think they, they do a great job of releasing some of the only, like, intelligent, kid-friendly stuff that, that is ever released on DVD. Stuff that I would buy for a child in a heartbeat is where the other junk would go straight in the trash. But this is the worst lenticular I have ever seen on a release. This is the Magic School Bus, the complete series. This thing has been giving me headaches all weekend. Look at that. That's a, it's, it's a uh, it's lenticular terrible. hologram. But it's terrible. It, it, it never comes into focus. <laughs> well, you know what? That's because you're not wearing your glasses. I am. You are wearing your glasses. It, it never comes into focus. I just look at this and I'm like, I, I don't see it. It's, like, it's just, it's, it's like a drug trip. I don't know what this is. Um, but I'll anyway, this is the complete series of the Magic School Bus. Uh, which, if you haven't heard of, is kind of a legendary show from, you know, gosh, a, a whole generation ago. I mean, I remember this when I was a kid. Um, this is 52 episodes on eight DVDs and a great big wampin' collection that is, uh, you know, going to be really kind of cool for a lot of people. Uh, mostly parents. I'm not sure how many kids today will necessarily respond to it, but... Uh, it, it's a you know it, it's very representative of a different time and and the whole way that it represents you know teaching and school and kids and the relationship between kids and the teacher Mrs. Frizzle or Ms. Frizzle. Um, it uh, you know and I I still have a little bit of fondness for this. Um, it won Emmys back in the day, but uh, you know it uh, it'll be interesting. If any, I'm curious if any of you actually show this to your kids. Let, email us at godsdigigods.com and let us know if they respond to it or if they go. This looks like old and lame, and this uh, these kids don't have cell phones and they don't they don't text, and I have no way I don't relate to what's that school bus? It's not you know uh, natural gas powered. I don't I can't connect with this. So if they treat this like it's horse and buggy time, I'm curious. Um, and this dual series thing that they keep doing with Grey's Anatomy and Private Practice is getting kind of a little bit old, i got to confess. I was a huge Grey's Anatomy fan in the original uh, years of the thing. This is the eighth season, Extraordinary Moments. Um, and uh, this includes uh, an extended episode and a few kind of superfluous extras, featurette type things and interviews. And um, in addition to that, we have Private Practice, the complete fifth season, which also includes cast interviews. But here's the thing. I, I thought Grey's Anatomy was really good, like, about the first three, four years. And the fact that it's gone to an eighth season, I think, is impressive. But it just, it's, it's like the same, same stuff over and over and over in the eighth year. And uh, Private Practice, fifth season, seems like it's running on fumes just a little bit as well. I uh, can't really, you know, the first season of this I thought was pretty good. But um, not not quite holding it. So you know, if you if you've been with these shows for that long, you're you're stick with it. But uh, they've you're, lost you're, me. You're a better man than Wade. Uh, yeah, yeah, you, you lost me. Notice how I don't say you're a better woman than Wade because I don't know if any women actually listen to this podcast. True. Um, all right. So elsewhere on the TV front, uh, the big TV thing, at least in my world, is uh, The Office season eight. This is Blu-ray and uh, DVD. Oh, Steve Carell, where did you go? That's <laughs> kind of sad. It was kind of sad. And, of course, the show is now kind of running on fumes and it's has announced its, uh, it, announced, it announced its end. And, uh, yeah, so we have, um, we have Rain Wilson is still there. And uh, what's his name from, uh, you know, the, the, the Hangover still there? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's, um, the, the older you get, the fewer names you remember because people aren't that important anymore. This show has long since outlived its uh, usefulness, but there, you know, the, the show's become like The Simpsons, where sometimes they do get a couple good lines in. Yeah. For nostalgia's sake, you sometimes tune in hoping that it's as funny as the earlier ones. Yeah. So it, it's not that there's not good stuff in here, but I think at this point it's definitely started its uh, death spiral. Uh, we have some bonus features, including deleted scenes, blooper reels, some webisodes. And uh, that's good stuff. So there you go, The Office Season 8. Also, we have, um, we have two shows that are kind of like a paranormal issue. One is this uh, show Haven. Now, Haven's one of those uh, sci-fi shows that just seems like, you know, it just looks a little worse than most shows. And we've discussed why this is the case. It looks like something the CW passed on. Uh, this is this is a Canadian production, mm-hmm. and we all know about Canadian productions. Canadian oh, yeah. TV productions are like the sobs of TV. <laughs> like you, like you know, when you look at a sob, it looks like a car, but it's not really a car. It's just something <laughs> a little off about a sob. It doesn't quite look like a car as we know it. You know, uh, Canadian TV TV shows are yeah. like sobs. 
this show haven is like a it's sob. It's a sob. It's this. I can't, I'm not here. Does that make sense? Okay, sure. Oh, uh, sure. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you for humoring me. Anyway, this is uh, based on a, a Stephen King uh, deal, and uh, this DVD uh, is the second season of Haven. Now, uh, it has it is returning for a third season for reasons I'm not quite sure about, but. Uh, the show it's a little it's kind of paranormally where this uh, this FBI agent uh, you know goes to this town and there's all sorts of supernatural uh, things happening in the town, and it might have something to, something to do with her family. I'm not a big fan of this as I am of um, a Fringe. Fringe I feel does this sort of stuff much better. Fringe, by the way, not a Canadian production. Uh, this is season four on Blu-ray, which of course all these shows should be coming out on Blu-ray, and. Um, you know this. Uh, Isn't this something JJ's got his fingers in? JJ has his fingers in this, yeah. and you know what? I I like Joshua Jackson. I do. I I think that I don't know where you'd put him in movies. He's not quite. Are you pushing that? You don't like this cookie? No, no, no. Do you? I'm just making. You don't space. like it? Just say you don't like it. No, I like it. But you know, it, it, it's it's. You, you could tell me if you don't. I, I will do not want. Be I do want to sleep. I do want to sleep. There's a lot of sugar in that. That's like a mound of sugar. Really? It, yeah, I'm gonna have to nibble on that one over time. That's fine. Yeah, over over twenty years. Since I don't have milk, I can't take another bite because we have water. Why? Yeah, why does milk make this cookie feel less palatable, sugar-wise, than, than drinking water? You know, it's it's you just no it's an erotic thing. <laughs> it's it's just it's it's something pheromonal. Anyway, uh, this is a fringe season four. Uh, there's some good stuff here. Uh, I, I like Joshua Jackson. I wish he'd do movies. I, I don't know what you'd have him do. He's kind of. He's kind of a he's got a bit of a soft face and I don't know that he's handsome enough to be a leading man like in romantic comedies but anyway he's found uh fringe 22 episodes fourth season uh good stuff because you know what it involves a doomsday device and I want to tell you what happens with the doomsday device also on blu-ray we have from HBO bored to death and uh this show is a very quirky show I, I don't know that it, it's ever really reached the heights it could have especially considering the cast Jason Schwartzman Zach Galifianakis and Ted Danson but this is a great little kind of uh, detective show, and um, there are some bonus features here, including outtakes. Of course, with, with Galifianakis, outtakes are going to be hilarious. Some audio commentaries, and this is the third season of the show. I don't think the show is coming back, but um, they really gave it a good shot. There's some quirky stuff in here. I applaud HBO for giving it a shot. Um, but if you, uh, if you know what, if you're into this sort of stuff, you may want to give it a whirl starting with season one. I don't know if season one's on Netflix or not. Um, I'm sure it is. But anyway, this is uh, season three of Bored to Death, a very interesting, very quirky, never quite as good as it should have been, but still worth checking out show. And speaking of HBO, a couple more HBO uh, series here. One is How to Make It in America, the complete second season on Blu-ray. Fabulous Blu-ray, great audio on this. Uh, really interesting character-driven show that I was uh, somewhat unaware of for, for a while. Um, but you know what, this isn't, this is, for some reason HBO doesn't really push this like they do some of their higher concept shows. And I kind of think they should because the writing is very crisp, the acting is great, uh, terrific cast. Luis Guzman, why do I never get sick of Luis Guzman? He's the best. He's just so great. He's like in everything. And the guy's not even really an actor. He just kind of fell into acting. You know, you know? that guy lives in like North Carolina on a farm? I know. He does. He lives like he's not living in Hollywood. He's got like four kids or something. Yeah. He's, he's just, the best. He's just, he's really, really great. And he never, you know, he doesn't try to be anything that he's not. He's just so, but he's so real when he does movies. I especially love him in Boogie Nights, man. Oh, it's the best. Hey, Jackie, Jackie, Jack, Jack. Oh, my gosh. It's so good. Anyway, uh, know how to make it in American Police second season. Really a very, very nice release. And um, on the higher profile front is one of the flagship shows over there at HBO, also on Blu-ray here, uh, looking just as good, sounding just as good, is Hung, the complete third season. And, um, you know, this, I, I don't really connect to this show very well, not for, you know, not because I don't relate to the lead character. Um, but it just it just seems like a really kind of a thin concept to sort of hang a show on, uh, so to speak. You know, if we had a laugh track, I'd have, I'd have gotten at least three or four just in the last 30 seconds. I, you know that. Wait, I'm your laugh track, and I'm not laughing. Aww. Oh, I'm well. mean today. Yeah. I'm mean to wait. All my double entendres fall flat on the ground. That's okay. Anyway, Thomas Jane uh, stars in the show, and um, I've liked him better, actually, in uh, in movies. But he, he's fine, and there are tons of bonus features on here. Just uh, There's you know an alternate ending from the season finale, not that that even matters remotely, uh, featurettes and uh, you know the usual stuff, four audio commentaries, which aren't terribly interesting. I mean, a lot of people love this show. It just doesn't, uh, you know, not my, not my thing per se. 
you know what I actually do like, Mark? What I think is one of the fresher comedies of the uh, the television season is Two Broke Girls. Have, what? You, watched, have you watched Two Broke Girls? No, I have not. Uh, it's not bad. It's actually uh, it's it's quite fun. I like I like both actresses on it. Um, Kat Denning, I have always liked. I think she's terrific. And uh, Beth Bears, I had never really heard of before, but she's good, and it's good chemistry. And I'm really happy that for Kat Denning, especially that she's you know got something that really where she can flex her comic timing and kind of get her chops. I think she's still got a really good future a feature career ahead of her. So I uh, I don't know how long this will probably last. I think she will get snatched up for something as soon as their contracts are up. But that being said, you know what? I mean, it's it's kind of like the odd couple a little bit. I mean, they're both, you know, struggling to get by and uh, sharing an apartment. One of them is, you know, the dingbat. One of them is, is, is educated. So you, you play the, you know, the good cop, bad cop, odd couple thing a little bit. If you've, you know, you're familiar with the odd couple from 35, 40 years ago. You'll you'll recognize a lot of the same dynamics, a lot of the same devices. But that being said, you know what? It's um, it it kind of works. So uh, and and I'm hoping that future seasons continue to improve and sharpen the writing. New season, of course, uh, starts soon on Mondays, and uh, this is on Blu-ray and uh, deserves to be on Blu-ray. It's a beautiful show. Wait, another beautiful show is uh, Homeland. Now, when I uh, heard about this Homeland thing, I thought, oh, this is lame. Well, first, here's what here's what I thought first. I thought I love Claire Danes. I want Claire Danes to work all the time. I'm not just saying that because she's obviously a beautiful woman, but I'm saying I just love Claire Danes. I love her in Shop Girl. I loved her. In, I think she's a great performer. She's a great actor. Always enjoy seeing her, so I'm glad she's getting work. Uh, and then I thought, from the guy who did 24, mm, okay, I like 24, uh, but I thought, you know, this, now you're getting into like 9-11 and Al-Qaeda stuff, and I just feel like he might sort of make it like this, this pop thing, you know, like sort of like emptily exciting as opposed to like really trenchant stuff. Right. Um, because the show, after all, is about a guy who, uh, he's like a newly liberated American POW, and he might be like a Manchurian candidate-esque uh, Al-Qaeda agent. You know, and Claire Danes has to help figure that out. Well, it turns out uh, I'm totally wrong, as I usually am. Because uh, Homeland's great. It's a great show. It's uh, highly acclaimed, and Howard Gordon, who was the chief writer and exec of uh, 24, did a great job. The, um, this is a good show to watch on Blu-ray, and the first season's out now. It's a good show to watch on Blu-ray because it's a little like 24. We're like, with the moment you're done watching one, yeah. you want to pop in the next. Yeah, and, and that's good TV. That's, that's good TV. I mean, that's the way that, uh, you know, it's funny. Um, my wife completely missed the, the bandwagon originally with uh, Sex and the City. And then when I got it on DVD, I got the, you know, the, the full season. And she's like, well, I might as well see what all the fuss is about. And next thing I know, she and her sister are sitting there locked in front of the television for like 48 straight hours just marathoning this show, laughing themselves silly, keeping propping their eyelids awake with toothpicks, and just nonstop could not tear themselves away. It was just one after another after another. Gay. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so Homeland is a terrific show. So um, the first season is on uh, Blu-ray, and there's a couple special special features, although not not really much. But uh, I would definitely give this thing a whirl. Homeland, also uh, Sons of Anarchy, season four. I don't know how this thing keeps going. Um, the show has a terrific cast, including... It's, just, uh, it's got a vibe, you know? It's different. It really it's, is different. It's, 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 that's all it is. It's different. And that's what everybody's trying for with TV shows now. Well, it's just something different. It's a, it's a show about bikers, you know? I mean, when was the last time anybody tried that or even thought to do that? And um, Ron Perlman, he's, he's got a face that, you know, no mother could possibly love. And so Katie Seagal, who's a weird choice for this show, because like Katie Seagal, we all know from um, Married with Children, and she's the voice of Leela on Futurama. And yet here she and is. The, 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 the John Ritter show. Yeah, and yet here she is yeah. as, a, you know, like a biker mother hen on, uh, yeah. it's just bizarre. Great actress. And um, the thing with FX is that even though, and we've talked about this, even though everybody credits HBO with bringing some of this really adult fare to the one-hour drama. Yeah. You know, and I know Magnum P.I. is great, but I'm just saying, The Sopranos, <laughs> you know, we're talking like, we're talking heavy-duty sure. stuff now. For sure. Really, when you really think about it, you can really thank FX because while as HBO and Showtime are pay services, yeah. when FX, which is a basic cable channel, when FX came out with like Nip Tuck. The Shield. Right, or The Shield. Yeah. That made that level of intensity for one-hour drama safe for basic cable. For basic cable. You know what I mean? And yeah. then, of course, the network's had to follow suit, and now you get a lot of these shows. That's true. So uh, Sons of Anarchy to me is not... Um, and, and, and part of the reason why I, I don't jibe with the show is, is, first of all, it's not really my world, but also, I have to say, I hate motorcycles. 
and I hate people who ride motorcycles. Have I talked about this? No. But people who ride motorcycles, they are so they are Good night, so folks. Enti- this is this the end of the show. They are so entitled. It's like you know what? It's like they drive around like twenty miles an hour faster than everybody else, swerving through lanes, you know, splitting lanes, changing lanes dangerously, and then like whenever they thankfully, hopefully, finally just get into a horrible accident because they're driving like douchebags <laughs> down the freeway all the time, they call their like motorcycle attorneys. Says, Nobody takes motorcycles seriously. Nobody respects us. They have to give us the road too. Well, you know what? Stop driving like a douchebag. Drive like okay. a regular driver. You know, you you, you can't drive. You can't drive faster. You're looking at me like I'm crazy. You can't drive like 20 miles an hour faster than everybody splitting lanes, you know, just swerving through lanes, driving dangerously. And then like, as if like, oh, we're all supposed to like, we're all supposed to get out of our cars and drive 10 miles an hour so we don't, we don't dare bother the poor motorcyclist who's driving like an a-hole on the freeway. But you like He has a right to drive like an a-hole on the freeway because he's in a motorcycle. But you like Sons of Anarchy. I, I don't. Okay. Um, NCIS has uh, two more seasons for two of their shows. We have NC, uh, NCIS Los Angeles, the third season. What does NCIS stand for again? Everyone should know this by now, right? It stands for, um, you know, if you had given me another 30 <laughs> seconds, there'd be some serious comedy involved no, this, in is that. A, this is the funny thing. It's like CSI. Everyone kind of knows. Well, it's a, it's a criminal scientific uh, intestine. You know, if you give them long enough, they'll think of it. NCIS, nobody really knows. Nobody Naval really knows. Criminal Investigation Service, I know. But it's like it's it's right here on the box, you know. But nobody ever knows right off the top, even people who watch the show from the very inception. It's called anyway. – his, his, actually, you know what? It's called No Codger is Safe. That's it. Because <laughs> only old people like this show. I know. Right? So No Codger is Safe. Mark Harmon is like 60-something From now. watching this show That's and weird. liking it. That's weird. Mark Harmon's in his 60s. Anyway, this is the ninth. He was a quarterback at UCLA. He's 61. He was a quarterback at UCLA. Mark, he, in fact, he just turned 61 like a day or two ago. Uh, September 2nd was his birthday. Yes, yeah, see? How'd you know that? I, I know that because uh, because no, because no Mark Sanderson, a good friend of ours and screenwriter, posted it on his Facebook page because Mark Sanderson wrote I'll Remember April, the film that uh, Mark Harmon actually acted in. He's friends with Mark Harmon, so he, he congratulated him on his Facebook page, and that's how he knew. See how these things work? The world communicates. <laughs> Uh, NCIS, uh, the ninth season, the uh, the original show with Mark Harmon. Uh, you know what am I going to say? It's uh, by, well by this time, no, it's the same stuff. It's like uh, Law and Order and CSI. These things just keep on rolling because they got a formula. These shows do not get old because they just keep plugging along with what works. Audio commentaries, lots of featurettes. Mark Harmon is terrific. He's always terrific. Uh, I'm impressed as hell. The guy's always he's just he's one of those guys that you can he's eminently watchable. Uh, third season of NCIS Los Angeles is, uh, you know, a little bit more of a conventional cop show, to be honest. And uh, the only thing that really keeps me going on this is the cast. Uh, I like Chris O'Donnell, but I, uh, you know, LL Cool J is my guy. I really love LL Cool J, and I wish that he and Ice-T would put that stupid feud of theirs to rest. Uh, We are, in the next uh, week or two, going to talk about um, Ice-T's documentary on rap, The Art of Rap. And it is a great documentary, but one of the unfortunate things in it is that Cool LL Cool J is not interviewed in it, just because Ice-T and LL Cool J, they still have this, like, 30-year-old feud that uh, they're carrying on today. You know, they were rappers back then, and today they're basically TV cops, and uh, they're still rivals, and they just can't put it to rest. And that's unfortunate. Get it over. Put it to rest, guys. I'm just saying. Also, we've got Parks and Recreation Season 4. And the reason, by the way, in in case everyone's wondering, geez, what happened? Why is all this television being covered? Well, this is the way it works. This is September, and uh, the new TV seasons are all getting rolling and ramping up, and uh, everybody wants to release the previous season on DVD and Blu-ray as they start their new seasons so that you can sort of piggyback the publicity of one off of the other. If the DVD gets released, that means you see the DVD on the shelf. It reminds you the show is starting up soon. You buy the DVD so you can catch up on the last season and then know exactly where the new season starts. And then, you know, it works the other way around as well. So that's the strategy, at least. I don't know if it uh, necessarily works. But Parks and Recreation Season 4 starts up again. And uh, Amy Poehler is still very, very funny. This show was a little shaky getting off uh, on its run initially. But it uh, it has somehow parlayed that quasi-office approach 
it's kind of a, a rural version of The Office, um, which Modern Family does as well. They all sort of have that neo-documentary style to them. Well, The Office... Uh, the Office started that, that, and everybody's kind of borrowed that. And, and it, you'd think it would get old, but they, as long as they keep the writing sharp, not bad. Um, yeah, so Amy Poehler really holds this thing down. A terrific cast, some, some very, very funny perf- supporting performances. And from Rob Lowe, come on. Rob, when did Rob Lowe become funny? About the same time Alec Baldwin became funny, right? I know. Who who to thunk? Well, you know what it is Seriously. like these guys like Alec Baldwin. His movie career was wasn't going very well. He had to reinvent himself. I know. Same thing with Rob Lowe. I guess he was on Brothers and Sisters, very serious, running for Senate, um, running for president. But anyway, you got uh, campaign ads on here, webisodes, an uncensored gag reel, deleted scenes, uh, some extended episodes, a lot of a lot of fun stuff. It's all kind of filler. It's all sort of fluffy. But the show is filler. The show's fluffy. Come on, give it up. Uh, then Two and a Half Men, the ninth season. I cannot believe this thing has been on for nine seasons. At this point, it's just three men. Could we could we do away with the half man? That kid is like, he's like 37 years old now. Although I, I have to say that that kid, in, 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 in the middle seasons, you thought to yourself, that kid is going to grow up to be the ugliest, fattest True. kid you've ever seen. Yeah. I think he sort of, uh, he kind of corrected himself. He, he did, he, but when he, he was, when he was sort of like eight, nine years old, that's when he was in his prime. That He was so funny. He was just, the show had the courage to make him just a stupid loser kid. And, and no television show had ever done that before. They'd never, you know, the kids were always supposed to be cute and smarter than the adults and endearing and engaging and have cute liners like what you're talking about, Willis, and, you know, small wonder and whatever, you know, horrible, just dreadful stuff. And uh, they, were, they just went all the way to the wall and they just said, you know what, this kid, we're going to make him totally unsympathetic. He's just going to be an idiot. He's just, we're just going to make him stupid and we're going to let people laugh at the child. I like Politically that. incorrect, but yep. it worked. So how's this doing without Charlie Sheen? I'll tell you. You know, the ninth season with uh, with Ashton Kutcher gets off pretty well. Got a different vibe to it. Uh, takes a little getting used to, but I'd say by about halfway through the season, not bad, not bad. It uh, it you, you're you're sort of finally on board with the fact that it is now a different show. It's going in a different direction, and it's not like Archie Bunker's Place, where you just feel like they're grasping at straws to reinvent this thing and just keep the characters going. It really is. It's a different thing, and it's a very smart uh, reconceptualization they did. This also has a gag reel, and uh, a bit on the on the uh, the uh, changing of the set, the the upgrade to the production design. So that's actually really interesting and well worth taking a look at. So two and a half men, ninth season. You realize what happened to uh, anger management? Anger management got picked up for ninety episodes. Yeah, I don't really understand that. Well, it, it, it got picked up. It got picked up for ninety episodes for one reason, because. They had um, initially ordered 10 episodes. Right. See how it did. And if it reached a certain ratings benchmark, they would automatically green light another 90, which means that there would be a total of 100 episodes, which means it can go into syndication. Ah. So they. So here's what they're doing. And this is what TV's like. Because they they have decided to do 90 episodes, which is like kind of unprecedented. Right. But they're going to shoot them all in only two years which means that they have to shoot two episodes a week. Now, a sitcom, you know, sitcoms look like they're uh, hilarious think, and easy. I don't think Charlie's going to like that schedule. Well, he's not, well, but no, well. <laughs> i got to be honest. Well, I mean, he likes it now because it will make him amazingly wealthy. I yeah. mean, wealthy beyond well, all like, his dreams. Look, he, like he's not wealthy right now. We're talking, we're, we're talking, I don't know if like, we're talking like Friends, Seinfeld, yeah. money. Yeah, You know? So I think he will. He has a lot invested in keeping himself uh, out of trouble in order to get that done. But the thing is that if, if you're doing two episodes of a sitcom a week, right, that is a guarantee for lousy programming. Guaranteed. However, don't forget, uh, I was reading about this. Mm-hmm. They've already sold the show in syndication in all these foreign territories. Right. All these foreign territories, like like crazy countries that you you think they wouldn't care, they have bought this show, the hundred episodes. Yeah. I mean, obviously, assuming they all deliver, but the commitment's right. already there. For $600,000 an episode to these different territories. Jeez. That thing is... That's a pre-sell monster. Pre-sell monster. Not $600,000 a season. 
an episode. Wow. Is, I actually, I'm look this up. You know what? You talk, I'm going to look this up. You, you talk about okay, this. Okay, okay, okay. Because it, it, it really is fascinating. All right. Uh, the complete third season of Glee. We got this on Blu-ray. You know what? Glee is an incredibly well-produced show. I got. I have to confess, it's a little tired to me now. The, the first season was like, well, this is fresh and cute and cool and, and kind of embarrassingly uh, enjoyable. Um, the concept is is terrific, but uh, now it's like, oh my gosh, really? How much further can you really stretch the concept? Like, how many more performances of Glee Club performances of standards and and kind of cheery perkiness can I take on a weekly basis? Uh, so it's it seems to be spreading it a little bit thin. I don't know really where they're going to go with this uh, at this point, but. Anyway, uh, third season, Look, it looks great. It sounds great. That's the thing that most matters with Glee is it, it, it really just rocks it on the audio, especially if you, you, know, if you have a great Blu-ray system. You're just going to go crazy for this. And uh, you got a, you know, a, a deleted scene here of Santa Baby, uh, new ca- thing on uh, the new cast members because obviously they got to keep it fresh or at least try to, and a couple of featurettes. More interesting is uh, Criminal Minds Season 7. Which goes back to what I said about NCIS. All of these procedural shows, they rely pretty much on good cast and uh, sticking with the formula. Just do not deviate. The uh, Law & Order shows are a testimony to that, as are the CSI shows. Criminal Minds does the same thing. This is about an FBI behavioral analysis unit, uh, and that's why it's, this is not called BAU, because that doesn't sound as cool as NCIS or CSI. BAU doesn't wow. really rock. So they called it Criminal Minds. And uh, really what keeps this going... Mark, you know, man, you know. Uh, uh, Joe, Joe Montagna. Joe Montagna. He's him. the he's the man. He's the guy. He just he's, awesome. he's so freaking good. He just brings such weight and such gravitas to everything he does. And uh, the rest of the cast, perfectly fine. But you know, Montagna is just he's an anchor man. And I, I miss that guy in features. But I'm glad that he's on television. Uh, this also has Gagriel. Gagriel's the new Gagriel is the new featurette. Well, because they're they're easy. They're totally easy because Just you've got all that material. Every time some, someone goofs up, yeah, get get some assistant editor making like six dollars an hour. Yeah. to 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 Just string them all together. together. That's it. Put a stupid song underneath it. And really, what they do now, what they do now is when they're shooting and someone really flubs, they don't put you know that doesn't get marked NG no good. That gets marked you know uh, GR for gag reel. <laughs> Cut that out. Save it. Put it in the, put it in a separate bin for the for the gag reel for the DVD. You know, I mean, it really it's it's sure. gotten to that point now. So sometimes people there are even times in some of these gag reels where you can tell that people are intentionally you know screwing up and winking at the camera like I know I did that one for the gag reel. Thank you. Okay. Perfectly he, fine. He, okay. So anyway, Criminal Minds seventh season. Uh, some interesting commentaries on here too. Really, really underrated show. I think. All right, Wade, here's the thing. In Canada, Australia, and yeah. Scandinavia, yeah. anger management has sold for roughly $600,000 an episode. Holy cow. More than what Seinfeld and Two and a Half Men got that out of the game. That makes no sense. Isn't that just bizarre? That makes no sense. And, of sense. course, what you have to understand, too, the reason why they're doing 90 in, uh, reason why they're doing 90 in two years is yes. the same reason why they shot... They shoot. They, they shot the two Matrix sequels at the same time, or that shot the makes, two, or, or the Lord of the Rings movies no at the same sense. time to save money. Wow! If, if you gang bang them, ninety episodes know, in two years, it keeps the cost down. I just don't get it. Well, I don't get it. well, for six hundred thousand dollars an episode, you'll get it. I guess. All right, The Good Wife, uh, third season. Uh, this show stars Juliana Margulies. Who, by the way, you know what? I, I, she's looking weird, man. She's getting work done, <laughs> and uh, you know she's a beautiful woman, and, and but now she's got the she's rocking the work. Uh, and it's just lame, totally lame. Don't like it. Anyway, uh, I, at first I thought this would be like kind of like a one beat show, where you get the uh, the wife of the jilted uh, the, the jilted wife of the politician, the you know the the disgraced Elliot Spitzer politician, um, and then she would try to you know kind of make it on her own, uh, you know, overcoming the adversity, and she does it, blah blah blah. But you know what? This thing is rolling along. This is the third season on DVD. Why not Blu-ray DVD? And uh, it's it's getting less interesting as it goes along. Although you know it's got Alan Cummings. Uh, Alan Cummings, he's in it for some reason. I don't know why because we love him. Josh Charles kind of eking out a career for himself. He's also in this. He was of course in uh, Sports Night. Chris Noth is in this. And what's nice about the show, the, really the best thing about the show is that both Chris Noth and Juliana Margulies they have kind of these like dark undercurrents that they can play as actors that I think kind of keeps the show a little bit uh, more interesting. So, um, yeah, so Good Wife's third season. I'm, I'm not the hugest fan of the show, but uh, it keeps rolling along. And uh, a show I'm really not a fan of on um, 
I kind of yeah. like this actually. I've, really? I've only seen a few shows, but I actually sort of, I, yeah, yeah, it's got a thing, you know. It's got kind of a, a sleazy thing that I, I respond to in life. In life, <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah, you know, there's just certain, there's certain, there's certain amount of sleaze that's good in life, you well, know. Well, like something like most of the time, it's like, ooh, that's sleazy. But this has that amount of sleaze. It's like, ooh, mm. you know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, mm, yeah, mm, sure. <laughs> mm. Who doesn't know? Out of your mind, wait. Anyway, uh, Revenge is uh, it was you know what I it's, for some reason I thought this show would wind up on um, ABC Family. I guess it's not that family oriented. So it um, winds up on ABC because <laughs> uh, it's about revenge. It's, well, this young girl comes back to her hometown. There's like all these secrets and her family's been destroyed and she has to figure out what happened, put it back together. 22 episodes. Um, it's very uh, – although, although you, you know who's in this is, um, is uh, Madeline Stowe. Yeah. And I like Madeline I like Stowe. Madeline she was Stowe so beautiful. Uh, Still like her a lot. She's great. She's yeah. great in 12 Monkeys and yeah. all sorts of films of that era. And uh, anyway, so this show, not really my deal. It's a little bit like an evil – Dynasty—it's—it's it's not a dynasty. It's like yeah. a what would you call this thing? Uh, you know what? It's very much like a conventional daytime soap opera, really transplanted to prime time, more so than Dynasty or Dallas or any of those things, because those are those are all about sort of these imperious families and these estates. I mean, this is more about the, you know, the, the these relationships, ins and outs. It's 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 got a cool, I guess. It's got a cool thing going. Okay, you know what? Look, it's it's, it's okay. You're you're right. It's it's definitely soapy. It's a, a little bit dark, but just just a little bit cheesy. Um, I can tell this is definitely a female skew, a female skewing show, especially considering the uh, lead actress Emily Van Camp, kind of young and beautiful and whatnot. Love her. Uh, do you really? Yeah. Wow. Movie career. Oh yeah. Are Eventually. A a, a uh, like it like a with Renee the right Zellweger with type? with the right role with the right role. I mean, it's it's you know she's very TV right now. She's you know brothers and sisters and this, but there's a there's a chance there's a chance to make that jump. And it's just about picking the right part. And from Paramount CBS, we've got a couple of oldies but goodies. Raymond Burr and Perry Mason, Season 7, Volume 1. You know what? Again, like a procedural, sticks with what it does well. If you've seen one Perry Mason, you've seen them all. They never get old. Every case is different. Raymond Burr is what anchors this thing down, keeps it good, keeps it honest, keeps it real. Gotta love it. You just don't like the fact that they're still splitting these things into separate volumes. Uh, Streets of San Francisco, this is a little more acceptable. They still have it in separate volumes, uh, Season 1, Volume 1, and Volume 2. But we have shrink-wrapped them together so that they are together in one set. Um, doesn't make it any easier once you unshrink wrap them and put it on the shelf, but, you know, th- this will be marketed in stores, and, you know, you flip it over, there's one, there's the other. Uh, and you know what? Uh, four seasons in, this was still a great show. Uh, Michael Douglas and Carl Malden, still a terrific television pair, and some really, really good episodes, very well written. One of the classier shows of the era, uh, one of the best Quinn Martin shows ever. I love it. Yep, love it too. Love Streets of San Francisco. Um, all right, Mark, I'm going to... Uh, Don't make me sing the song. I won't. The theme song. I, I won't. dun 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 an uncharacteristic oversight on the part of Sony. I hope they remedy that in the future. But uh, we did get the Blu-ray, and this, if you haven't heard about it, is just a completely butt-kicking, hardcore, bone-breaking, blood-letting martial arts festival that is, uh, you know, sort of speaks to the fact that Hong Kong and Thailand are not the only games in town anymore. This is an Indonesian movie. So suddenly, a country that that was completely unheard of in the martial arts scene in uh, in Asia, you know, you think Japan, Hong Kong, Korea, China, Taiwan, Thailand, that's where it was all coming. Suddenly, Indonesia has entered the fray, and this thing is absolutely unrelenting. Uh, and the quote on the back, you know who, you know who gets the, the pull quote on the back? Our good friend Todd Gilchrist. He does? Yep. Todd, Todd gets the quote on the back. Relentless. It's second to no film. Don't know if I if I share that enthusiasm, but uh, it is a, it is a pretty rip roaring hot film, and you know it's essentially the same uh, concept as as Bruce Lee's Game of Death, which was also mimicked by Tony Jaw just a few years ago, where you know you have to sort of work your way up the tower. It's a very video game concept. Yeah, but Tony Jaw, like that guy, would like dive into like one open window of a car yeah. and dive out the <laughs> the yeah, opposite yeah. open window. Of a, he was awesome. Well, in the Tony Jaw film, title of which is is slipping me right now, he he basically there's there's a 
shot where they, the camera, the Steadicam, follows him consistently up like three floors as he dispenses with 30 people. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. So this is – I don't know that I like this is, uh, quite that much, but it's good. And um, Ong Bak, by the way, is that what you? It's the Ong Bak film. Is that what you're it talking was, about? No, it's not the original Ong Bak film. It's a, it's a, it's a different one. The bodyguard. It, uh, it bodyguard. Sorry. Yeah, bodyguard. Thanks. You know, in, in the bodyguard, there's a there's a song in the bodyguard. Yep. It's it's a very famous song. It's sung by a singer who passed away recently. Different movie. Oh, totally different. Movie. Oh. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, the Grand Illusion, La Grande Illusion, the Ooh. genre noir film. Um, now, hang on. Yeah. There's this one, and then there's the Criterion version. I yeah, this is so tough. They restored this, and and this is what's really tough for me because this is the you know they did a great job restoring it. It is a fantastic restoration, um, but this is not the Criterion release because Criterion doesn't have a license to this anymore. So this is a Lionsgate release. Studio Canal keeps doing this. They have their new deal with. With Lionsgate, Studio Canal in France, of course, owns the the library that has a lot of these films, and um, you know, hence the Third Man not being that's part of the Studio Canal library as well. Uh, they yank that from Criterion, and I gotta say, I it's tough because watching the restored version on a Lionsgate Blu-ray should be more pleasurable than watching the DVD, the unrestored DVD on a Criterion. But I can't, I can't, I can't really say that, that that it's better. It's it's better in a lot of respects, and certainly I would say get them both. You gotta own them both. Nobody's getting them um, both. But you gotta, you gotta, you gotta have them both. You gotta have the Blu-ray, and you gotta have the uh, Criterion DVD. It looks you just, great. You got to. It, it it really does look good. It should look better. I have to say though, and it's not that the restoration isn't good. It's just that Lionsgate's transfer of it is not as pristine as you would have expected from say uh, you know a Criterion. But it is a it's one of the all-time great films. One of Jean Renoir's great masterpieces, and uh, it looks sensational. It's a whole bunch of really good special features. Nothing that wouldn't have been done better by Criterion, which is also a little bit of a, a shortcoming, I think. I um, think that if this had Criterion on it, you'd love it. No, because the, because the extras are kind of thin. You the know, extras are thin. And the, the, and the thing with the extras, quite frankly, is that if you take a look at it, there's no extra longer than 24 minutes. Exactly. So it's not like these but are full-bodied like, documentary-level like, extras. And then it's not archival. You know, Criterion would have given you like like extensive like the radio interview from French television in 1952, where Jean Renoir remembers, and you know stuff like that. And it never really rises at that level. And uh, then we've got Tomboy, which I really want to give a recommendation to. This thing kind of went under the radar. This is from Wolf, and uh, this is a, a terrific film from uh, Celine Sciamma, who previously did a French film called Water Lilies. She makes some of the best films about, um, uh, you know, sort of uh, sexual issues and gender issues, particularly from the point of standpoint of a gay woman. And this is about a, a young girl who disguises herself as a boy, and uh, to pass with you know this new ten-year-old little girl, and just pretends to be a boy because she wants to you know blend in as a boy with the new kids. It's French film, French language film, but the, the, it's just devastating, absolutely devastating. And uh, Zoe Heron, who plays the uh, the little girl, is just breathtaking. Could have, I mean, if this film had gotten any kind of juice behind it, she would have been an Oscar candidate. It is just really a very very powerful film. I think maybe the most powerful film I've ever seen about uh, gender identity. Really? Even more than uh, Boys Don't Cry? Yep. Way more. Wow. Way, way more. Uh, Wade, um, the uh, Oscar winner last year for Best Foreign Film is an unbelievable, fantastic, mesmerizing masterpiece that I absolutely, completely, absolutely loved every frame of it. It's called um, uh, Chairman of the Board. Co-stars Carrot Top. There's <laughs> a guy who... <laughs> okay. I see if you were paying attention. Yeah, that's too A separation funny. from Iran is is just... An outstanding, compassionate, brilliant, detailed, trenchant look at uh, not only familiar relations in Iran, contemporary Iran, but uh, it just encompasses religion and and family and 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 it's, this movie is just so amazingly good. It's a it's a uh, it takes place again in contemporary Iran, and it's about this husband and wife. Their marriage is sort of dissolving, and you get a sense of like, unlike Western movies, here you get a sense of what. Uh, what motivates Iranian couples? What motivates them to uh, question their marriage? What motivates them to raise their children in certain ways? What motivates them to, to sue or to not sue? The, the, uh, the religious pressures, the family pressures, the honor, the pressures of honor. 
And uh, it's, the thing is just brilliant. I absolutely loved, loved this film. It is a terrific film. I was not as high on it as everybody else was. Uh, I mean, I, I prefer the more poetic uh, Iranian movies as opposed to the ones that are very procedural. This is very procedural. Yes. But it's a very good script with great performances. And, uh, you know, it sort of goes in the same class, I think, with films that deal with... Um, the, the intricacies and the eccentricities of other other legal systems around the world, and that would include like uh, Zhang Yimao's The Story of Xiu Zhu, and as well as a lot of those Romanian movies that I can't stand, you know, like uh, Lazarescu. Like the Lazarescu would be and, very much like this. And uh, Police Adjective, you know, they're all, they all are sort of in that same vein. So even though uh, I'm very hit and miss with those films, it seems to be this new subgenre, which is let's immerse you in the horrible stifling, crippling, constipating bureaucracy of my awful country just so that you understand how much better off you have it in yours. Well, I'm not sure whether, whether the filmmaker is saying uh, it, it wants us to compare Iranian life to no, the life in the country but you inevitably do. film. You inevitably do. True, that, you, yeah. you do. But, I, but I, I, I think also he's really just sort of putting it out there that this is what it's like in these countries. And yeah. he, doesn't, True. he doesn't do it in a show-off way. True. You know, I... I uh, when I was watching the film, I thought of, and maybe you can tell me where this is totally off base, and I, and I know you will. I thought of this. Uh, so uh, off base, <laughs> I don't even know where to go. <laughs> I thought of Tokyo Story, the Ozu film. Yeah, no, absolutely. Where you get a sense of this is just like, this is how these people live. And then in the subtext of the dialogue, you get a sense of what it's really, what Japanese society is really like. Yeah, I without, agree. Without throwing it at you. And I would also say anyone who wants to, to learn how to write a screenplay, there's so much to learn in this. More than don't like don't go to John Truby or Robert McKee or any of those idiotic classes or read any of those stupid books. Just uh, watch this movie and ask yourself how do they manage to set up so much? Because screenwriting is very much about setup and payoff. It is. It's like you you know you when, if you want there to be an emotional reaction, you have to sort of seed that and you have to prepare an audience for it so that you've planted the seed, you've watered the seed, and then when it grows, bam, that's the payoff. But you don't want them to know that you're doing it. So how do you hide it? You know what's the slight of hand, the magic in screenwriting that lets you actually seed something without you know, letting people know that that's going to pay off. American films are terrible that way. They're horrendous. You know, we all we all know that if somebody says, "Hey, you know, when James Bond is like hand when Q hand, or uh, Q hands James Bond some new gadget, you know it's going to come in handy at some point." Q doesn't give James Bond like a magnetic exploding, uh, you know, uh, quarter without it actually coming in useful about an hour and a half later. It just doesn't happen. So this movie tells you very subtly how they set up and pay off things in the most just deviously brilliant way. It's a very, very smart script. Oh, this script is great. Because yeah. you, you everybody has their... In, in separation, you get a sense of the, the wife's point of view, the father's point of view, the daughter's point of view, the... the, the uh, the father, the grandfather with Alzheimer's, you get a sense of his point of view. Yep. You get a sense of how all these people interact not only with each other, but how their religion and their law affects how they interact. It's and brilliant. A separation is just just so good. It's a great movie. I cannot recommend it highly enough. And we've got three criterions here that also come with the highest possible praise. Uh, two of them are from the Dardenne brothers. Now, I have to say, I am not a fan of one of these, but I'm going to praise it anyway. Uh, Rosetta, I think, is one of the most excruciatingly boring films I have ever seen. But that being said, it won the Palme d'Or at Cannes, so who am I to judge? Uh, the other one is La Promesse, which uh, they made three years earlier in 1996. And both, you know, the Dardenne brothers, uh, uh, you know, they have it's the best of French and Belgian filmmaking in them. I have loved some of their films, not liked other ones, but they, they certainly do have a very French new wave sensibility along with this independent spirit that is part of Belgian cinema. And uh, I, I think they, they, you know, if you love them, you're going to love both of these. Criterion did a first-rate job transferring both of them. Lots of really terrific extras on here. Not dense with extras, by the way. Um, you know, primarily La Promesse has the interesting stuff on it, which includes a conversation between the Dardens and our good friend Scott Foundas. What? Scott Foundas bloody well found his way onto a Criterion. I can't believe it. But it's really terrific. Scott is a, is a brilliant kid. And uh, I call him a kid because uh, I, I have to because he's younger. And it, uh, it's just infuriating how, uh, how old that makes us. But that being said, Scott is, uh, is really sharp, one of the brighter film critics in the United States. And um, he's now in New York, you know. We lost him here. 
Yeah, he, he does a lot of the, work with the Lincoln um, Center. Lincoln Center. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there's also a, uh, an interview piece uh, featuring, featuring Jeremy Renier and Olivier Gourmet on La Promesse. Very, very nice. So, uh, and also an interview bit on, uh, on Rosetta. And then we also have from Criterion, Umberto D., the brilliant, amazing masterpiece by Vittorio De Sica, which is so gorgeous. Such a, this may be like the new standard for black and white transfers. The film was made in 1952. Uh, I have seen this projected in some just horrible, horrible prints. And they, like, just poop this thing out in the most pristine transfer. I don't know. It is amazing what they did with this. It is beautiful. The audio is, is just pristine. And it includes an unbelievably gorgeous hour-long uh, documentary about the life and career of Vittorio De Sica that is so touching. I had never even knew this thing existed. It was made for Italian television uh, about a decade ago. And it is absolutely sensational. Just wonderful. So you cannot miss Umberto D. And uh, then lastly, a couple from uh, Kino. Start with Louis Foyard's Les Vampires. Uh, this is a restoration by the uh, French Cinematheque of the amazing uh, serial that uh, was originated by the guy who created the serial. You know, the reason that, that Louis Foyard's name is synonymous with serials is because he was the first guy to actually do it. Uh, ten episodes of this uh, this kind of freaky black and white. Uh, silent era vampire uh, soap opera. This is like, I guess, I guess you could say this is the original Dark Shadows from uh, 1915 and 16. Uh, it's terrific. It's a lot of fun. You just never ever get sick of this. Fayad kind of figured out the formula that holds today as to how you just keep following these things over and over and over and the cliffhangers and everything that just kind of keeps you going and he had a style that was really second only to Fritz Long at the time just terrific stuff it's on Blu-ray and on DVD the Blu-ray is a fabulous fabulous Blu-ray beautifully beautifully transferred can't recommend it highly enough and then we also have Korczak uh, Andrzej Wajda the great Polish filmmaker's uh, remarkable film which stands as one of the great uh, Holocaust films of all time Uh, this is written by the way by Agnieszka Holland who uh, you know has just recently uh, was Oscar nominated for uh, in darkness for in darkness you know still Great dealing film. with a lot of those Holocaust themes and so you know that she knows her stuff and Vida certainly lived through a lot of it and uh, it's it is uh, it is a powerful powerful film beautifully photographed in black and white a spectacular Blu-ray highly recommended um, the story actually is you know the, the name Korczak is a pseudonym Janusz Korczak, Korczak is really uh, Henrik Goldschmidt who in the 1930s was uh, this, uh, you know, I don't want to call him Bozo the Clown, but he sort of was, from a radio standpoint, the equivalent. He was uh, really extraordinary to uh, the development of children in Poland. And um, when he found out, uh, well, you know, it... it, it um, Boy, I don't want to go where this goes. It's so it's so touching and so depressing at the same time. But let's just say there is no television icon that would do for children what this guy did for children today. Just it's it's re- it's remarkable and it'll bring you to tears. So an amazing, powerful film. One of the one of the best films that Vida ever made. Vida Blue, the pitcher for the uh, Oakland A's. No, in the seventies. Uh, no, Carlos Santana, that that pitcher who plays guitar. All right. Everybody knows how much I hate Jason Statham because he keeps making the same movie over and over again. In fact, the thing with Jason Statham is that it is no Jason Statham film unless he, uh, he, unless he sits in a car and drives fast. Yes, true. And in the movie Safe, um, look, look, look right there. Look, look what he's sitting behind. Uh, the car. wheel of a car. With, with a gun. Because that's what he does. Yeah. And obviously Jason Statham knows who he is. I, I just wish that he would maybe try to do something else, God forbid. Um, although it does pain me to say that of all of his bad movies that I'm tired of seeing... Uh, Safe is one of the better of his bad movies. I'm tired mm-hmm. of seeing, and uh, and the reason why uh, I, I was just not into this uh, initially is because in the movie he plays a uh, cage. You know, everyone's trying to get on the cage fighter mixed martial arts bandwagon thing. Oh, if we make our character mixed martial artist, we'll tap into this whole new thing that all the kids love, and they'll love it in Middle America because they all love mixed martial arts and boxing is out and MMA is in. So they're trying to. Tap yeah. into that by making Statham a um, second-rate, you know, MMA guy. Yeah. Anyway, so of course he uh, he blows a rigged fight. The Russian mafia murders his family, Wade, Ugh. in a world no. where his family I'm so is tired. murdered. I'm so tired of movies with the Russian mob. Uh, I'm tired of it. And they kill his family. Now sick he's got to get sick, revenge in sick a world. Of the Russian mob. And the funny thing is that he he gets re- he gets revenge with like this twelve-year-old Chinese yeah. girl. So, Reddy, you're 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 thinking of like you know Leon. You know, in other films where, like, you know, no. a killer goes with a young girl and runs around. Well, look, 
it's 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 kind of as bad as you think it would be, but you know, for ninety five minutes it moves fast, it looks slick, and I guess it's fine. But yeah, just God, Jason, do something else, anything with your life. I know. Uh, Blindness is the uh, the Cannes Film Festival misfire from uh, Fernando Morelos, who did uh, the Brazilian director who did City of God. This is an English language film, and and the the Constant Gardener as well. Blindness is you know it should have been a, a better movie, It should have been a much better movie. It's an okay film. Julianne Moore is very good in it. It basically is a kind of a semi post apocalyptic film about a plague of blindness that uh, strikes the world, and uh, you know Julianne Moore is the only one who can see well okay what uh, you know it, they should have been able to do more with this uh, than what they did it just it was like an opening to do some amazing things uh, as a filmmaker and they just didn't they weren't able to pull it off uh, it's kind of unfortunate mark ruffalo danny glover gail Bar- garcia bernal alice braga all co-star all very good but just doesn't uh, doesn't take the risks that it needed to take but it's not a bad film so worth a rental i would say that's uh, on blu-ray from echo bridge it's from the miramax library uh and uh you know Give it a shot if you want. Something else to give a shot is uh, the five-year engagement. This is uh, from the Apatow factory of, uh, of overlong comedies that, all, that are slowly but surely dragging young men into adulthood. I mean, we have, like, the 40-year-old virgin, and soon we're going to have This is 40, and now we have the five-year engagement. And on the women's side, we had the very funny Bridesmaids, which I loved. Um, but it, but the the Apatow thing is all about taking yeah. these, these these like postmarks of, of of like old uh, adolescence and adulthood, yep. and blowing them into like these amazingly amazing like rite of passage comedies, and that's kind of what he does. Now here we have five year engagement, which is with uh, a whole bunch of uh, whole, whole bunch of good folks, including Chris Pratt, Emily Blunt, and Jason Siegel. I don't think this is nearly as funny as Bridesmaids, but it does have that same Apatow mix of like you know of authentic human behavior along with crazy jokes that are like way out there and you know give the thing an R um, this thing is like over two hours it's wrong it shouldn't it, be no, no, no comedy no should ever be over two hours and like every Apatow comedy is over two hours and you, you, you know whose fault that really is mine yeah. is it mine yeah. let's see I most things that. as you know I'm not sure why oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. anyway uh, it, it's definitely a sit but uh, the uh, performers are engaging. People who are of that age will definitely um, uh, recognize something in it. Uh, I just wonder whether, you know, at this point, I feel like the Apatow thing was starting to, like, kind of uh, yeah, get you. a little creaky. Yep. But five-year engagement, not as best. But if, you have, if you've already seen the other Apatow stuff and are waiting for This is 40, check out five-year engagement. And then lastly, we're going to recommend Piranha 3 Double D. That's not 3DD, 3 Double D. Uh, this comes in this three a packet that contain here, here's what's included 3D Blu-ray regular Blu-ray DVD and digital copy um, and you know what uh, it's not a good movie it's a horrible movie it's not even a good 3D movie but it's all about just sticking boobs in your face in 3D so if you have a 3D television and a 3D Blu-ray player and you're looking for a 3D movie to show off forget about Titanic forget about Avatar forget about you know any of the other like legit stuff just get this because it's a gimmick and you know it's a gimmick and these people they own the gimmick it's but just that's silly okay. so you look it's okay it, it, look obviously I'm fine with owning the gimmick yes if, 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 if you own its stupidity that's it that's totally fine and, and I'm I totally like fine it does own its stupidity it does and I'm all for it and you know what what can you say about a movie that actually includes in it in its campy B movie all in your face let's just have a good time cast Christopher Lloyd Gary Busey and David Hasselhoff together again it's like the Expendables yeah totally absolutely and uh, look Mark they even sent us uh, a a little like uh, beer warmer thing what do you call these a beer cozy that's it it's a beer cozy and and that that tells you exactly what this is intended for with that we are done we'll see you guys next week wait a second Wade what What? you can't end the show until I watch you take another bite of this cookie oh here we go